Today I'm joined by musicians and artists Michael Cumming and Sylvana Van Dyke from the Australian musical duo Visions of a Nomad. I've been friends with these guys for a couple of years now and they're just really fascinating. In the interview we discuss how they met, why Sylvana left an international modeling career and Michael his own touring musical project to disappear for months into the Australian outback with just a spear and driving a 4x4. We discuss Michael's death experience in a hang gliding accident that radically changed his life. His time living as the personal secretary to an Indian guru with supernatural powers and their deep connection to the indigenous people of Australia. It's a really interesting conversation. So without further ado, Michael and Sylvana. I'm here today in Byron Bay uh, with Michael Cumming and Sylvana Van Dyke. They perform internationally, and you guys just returned from the Nisville Jazz Festival in Serbia, right? Yes. Yeah, how was that? It was absolutely fantastic. It was uh, uh, been a highlight in our career so far, purely from the perspective that some of the finest musicians in the world are jazz mm. musicians, people like uh, John Coltrane, Dizzy Gillespie, Miles Davis, and all these people have... This is... We were playing on the same stage as, mm. as, as some musicians who'd worked with these people, and so the standard was incredibly high and uh, made us feel, feel very uh, proud of ourselves to be... We're the first Australian group ever to play there in 25 right? years. Yeah. I didn't know that. Wow. So what, tell, tell us a bit about Visions of a Nomad. How, how did it get started? How did you two uh, start the thing and, and what's it all about? Okay, that goes back. I had a band called Dreamtime, uh, which originally, in a, uh, going back to, I think I registered as a theatre company in 1981. And I always see art, music, dance, uh, culture as part of living philosophy so I wanted to start my own theatre company my own platform of uh, expression and uh, recognition of those things and you know I mean the, 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 my self growth has always been worth more to me than money mm. um, money's a fun thing but it comes and goes um, so I took it very seriously at a very early age that I, that I wanted to learn as much as I could and uh, bring it about as a living philosophy that can also be expressed to the world so there's some enrichment of the world through the process. I enrich myself and therefore through my uh, outgivings, hopefully, do some good for the world mm -hmm. as well. How long has... Visions of a Nomad been going. I, well, mean, that, I know you've, you've been you've been your whole life doing these things, but how yeah. Long well, that, that was eighty one. I think okay. Visions of a Nomad started in what ninety two, nineteen ninety two. I'd been with Silvana. I met Silvana in the while well, I was travelling on tour with Dreamtime. That's how I got to that. Mm. I was travelling on uh, in the desert, and I was just come from Uluru, the, uh, where we'd spent quite a few months. And that was the time Halley's Comet was burning in the sky. Oh, yeah. So when Halley's Comet was burning in the sky, I was in a cave inside Uluru with cave paintings, with dingoes howling, playing music in this sacred cave. With, so, I mean, that experience is so beautiful, you know. Like, mm. And then it was from there that I went to, up to Darwin to uh, do a big festival, drumming up Darwin. I was coming back to the East Coast and I met Sylvana who was going the opposite direction. She was going to, to Uluru 
and I, I fell in, I don't know if I fell in love, I, I was so drawn to this person. It was very, I had a very strange experience. I was walking past a toilet block in a campground, right. and I walked past her, and a voice said to me, that's the one. Really? Yeah. And, uh, and she, she didn't know it. No, right. <laughs> so I had a, you know, the next month or two was kind of... So the, who's that little, who's that little scrunchy guy there? <laughs> anyway. Or something like that. I don't, I don't remember. But, and I felt we had a, something together we had to uh, explore. So we went back to Arnhem Land and uh, lived out in Arnhem Land for what, or we were out there for a little while. And then uh, we went for three months, we were living in the bush, uh, 400 kilometres away from, the, even we left the Aboriginal people, all we had was a spear and, uh, and an old four-wheel drive and we went to a pl really isolated place and caught our own food every day and went hunting for shark and, yeah. and so live, live that, which for me was always a bit of a dream, I want to be able to just live off the land, you know, like yeah. have nothing, I mean, and just be a part of nature and so that was a wonderful experience. And I came from a total opposite world. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm from Holland. Uh, I was a model. <laughs> uh, at that time I was modeling and I, my sister and I were both modeling internationally, working for magazines like Vogue, working with the best photographers and going here and there. And I actually came from New York. I, I had to go back to Holland and I had a contract uh, uh, with an agency in Australia, a modeling contract, and I absolutely didn't know anything about Australia, not really. Mm. And so uh, my sister and I came here and we absolutely loved the place. We, we thought we, were, we arrived in paradise, really. Yeah. And uh, I remember one of the first days of uh, being in Australia, I, from my agency, they told me to go and get like a refidex, you know. Because when you need to go and look for work, you know, they send you on go-sees and see the magazines and the, and, the, and the photographers. So I very clearly remember on my first day I, work, I walked into a Niels agent and I went to the back to get a refidex. And then my eye caught this book. It was a beautiful book and it was about Aboriginal people. Mm. So I went straight there. I picked up the book and I said to my sister, we're going there. We're, go we're going there. I didn't know anything about it. Anyway, then I, uh, I, had, I did my modeling contract and I made some nice money and stuff. So we bought ourselves a backpack and we bought ourselves a Greyhound bus to go around Australia on the uh -huh. bus. It was all very exciting, you know, like, uh, because we, we came from a world where, you know, we were driven around in limousines and... And, uh, but although we were models, we were all always interested in, um, by example, staying in New York, we would go to Highland to attend African dance classes and, mm. you know, things that were, they were unheard of, you know, in the late 80s, mm. around those times, and before we were surprised we were doing those things. I think we were a little bit reckless, too. We had no fear, and especially me. <laughs> and... Um, so that's how I ended up in a place called Metzarenka, which are like hot springs in the desert, and that's where I met Michael, and that's how I ended up going to Arnhem Land. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, living with uh, indigenous people and sleeping under the stars. I've never done anything like it in my life, and it was actually quite an intense experience. Mm. It was really intense. What was that first meeting like then? 
you didn't hear the voice, I guess. No, that was my. That was in my head, exactly. not hers. No, I didn't have the. I didn't have the voice. I said, "That's the guy." Yeah, right. I didn't know what happened. It was all very. It was a shock to her. Strange. I'd been living in the in the bush for a year, living by fire and you know traveling. With this, with your band, or yeah, well, yeah. we'd done festivals and uh, we we'd done three months in an ab- uh, Aboriginal community. Yeah. Um, you know, just um, we'd been at Uluru for three months in the campground there. Um, you know the saying that opposites attract? Yeah. I think that really was the case here. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't get more opposite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the same time we had a lot in common as mm-hmm. well. My interest in music and, and culture and indigenous stuff and art and you know and all of those things. So even though we were really from opposite directions, mm-hmm. we also had a lot in common. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the main things that was very attractive to me. Mm. Yeah, because I don't think I met that before, not in that kind of context. Mm. Yes. Must have been quite, um, uh, quite a striking meeting to, s- to suddenly turn, take a, take a right turn out of modeling, yeah. out of all that well, life, for me into the bush. Yeah. For, you, well, for well. me also, because I mean, I'd just been there and done that, and my, and my band was going back to the East Coast. And so it was sort of like uh, me derailing my own project. Uh, so, you know, it was a quite... But what were they going to the East Coast for? You to oh, well, just for... Uh, going, we'd been travelling around the desert, uh, around Australia for a year. Mm. So it was sort of a project that I initiated, and here I was, th- you know, three-quarters of the way around jumping off I at see. a right angle. Yeah. And I, look, I just didn't feel that the people I was with justified my attention as much as she did. Mm-hmm. It was that simple. So it was kind of, a, it was, you know, it was a heart thing that I felt, wow, this person has impressed me. I don't even know them. I haven't even, uh, uh, you know, we'd hardly said two words to each other. But there was something that I had to, uh, that I felt that I had to uh, pursue. And it wasn't just that. She, um, what's the best way? To explain it, she sort of reassured me because I wanted to go back to Arnhem Land. I wasn't ready to go back to the East Coast. I, I wanted to spend more time there. So the fact that somebody else wanted to go as well made up my mind for me. I thought, well, that's it. So back to Arnhem, what, what's there? Well, Arnhem Land is an Aboriginal reserve, and things are very traditional, traditional there and very intact, and the, the spiritual energy is a lot more alive, you know, there than. Um, because of their traditional beliefs and their empowerment of, of that within a place that they call their own, mm-hmm. that isn't, you know, uh, run by a Western, uh, you know, government or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Right. I mean, they still have to maybe have some rules or something to do with the outside, but it's, you're walking into a world that's very, very old. And it's still there. It's still is. there. Wow. still there. And in fact, the strange thing about Australia is it's still here too. You're right where you're sitting. It's just buried under a lot of other blueprints. But the funny thing is, if you're talking about blueprints, if you're dying something and there's black in there to begin with, it yeah. doesn't matter what colour you put over there, it's going to come out black. Mm-hmm. So the, that's, the blueprint is so strong in the land for so long, mm. the, harmon- the harmony, the, the cultural things, the spiritual things, that they pervade even the most modern places. Mm. For example, places where in Byron we have markets or 
that we're having those markets there because that's what happened there. That's the blueprint of what happened there before. That's where people met and exchanged goods. Mm. And, and is that, and is that a deliberate mimicking no, of those traditional ways? It's, or is it's, it just the pattern just no, emerges? It's, just, it's, so it's, a, it's, it's a magnetism. Mm. And, and that's what's fascinating about it. Uh, about Australia? I think so. Mm. I think it, and I, I don't, don't think this is exclusive to Australia. I think this magnetism exists all over the place. Mm. Uh, and we, in fact, we had an experience of it in Serbia recently where we yeah. just went for a holiday but got drawn to a, a mountain that was a pyramid, you know, and things like this. So, but in Australia, this, you know, we call it the song lines, this, this paths that people have trodden here for so long that if you walk those paths, you'll run into people you know. You know, it's kind of like that. This is the, the Australia's a big place, but the, but... What do you mean you're running to people you know? What do you mean well, by um, the, the Well, there's a spiritual energy here that really pervades the place. It, it was even in how the law was uh, evolved and, and created that you're always someone's brother. You're always one, only two steps removed from somebody who's family. So this was done through skin law, that you would take a totem, even though you're from another tribe. So you would always be only one or two steps removed from somebody as family. Mm. And, and it was a way of a social and a political and a, uh, what's the word, a philosophical and a spiritual way of maintaining culture that you are my, you are my brother, mm. essentially. We might have some problems with, you know, hunting rights or whatever, but... Mm. Um, the West did it in a different way. They married off mm. people. So they, they created the same thing, but it was almost often a forced contract. Mm. Not to say that it didn't happen here exactly the same way. Uh, so, uh, but it's interesting that because there's not so much physical overlay on this land like there is in Europe, right. the old dreaming paths, the old, uh, you know, points of attraction, they still remain very strong, even though we, you know, we'll, we'll build the opera house on them or mm. whatever. It's just, I, I can't explain it more than that. It's a strong blueprint. Coming from Europe, living in this country, uh, I have different roots, you know. I wasn't born here, so I, maybe my perception of this place is a little bit different mm. to the people that are actually born and, and you know, and had generations here. But how I see this, it, it, I can, the simplest explanation for me is that like nature rules. Yes. And you need to listen to the signs. You need yes. to tune into the nature here. And, uh, and it gives you strange signs. And, uh, and what Michael said about, uh, you know, you don't have that, those layers and layers of different, you know, century stuff happening, you know, on a human level and wars and different oh, civilizations. Yeah. Uh, I just went back to Europe a few times and when I'm there, I, I, I feel like I, ca I can't really connect with what's there on, on that natural level yeah. because there have been so many layers yes. and when you're sensitive, you do tune in to all that what's happened there yeah. on some level. I, I it's a more human thing. Specifically, if you've been living in a very natural place like that, mm. you become more in tune with stuff yeah. like that. And I miss it when I go back to Europe. So, oh, I, you know, I really want to get in touch with the land and I want it to give me some signs, you know. 
Like what uh, kind of, what sort of signs, signs are you like when you're in, when you're in... Like in, a crow flying over or something? Oh, I mean, what, what are we talking a lot about? of animals can, have specific... Can like that? A lot of animals have specific meanings, yes. you know, and they will come with you. For example, uh, the curlew bird is a warning bird. And um, had we've had it many times in our life where that... We were in Brisbane one time and that curlew bird walked in our... We were in a, a warehouse like this, mm. but in the city. Right. Curly Book walked into our place, walked up to us, looked at us, and stayed around for about 20 minutes and just looked at us. And that bird was telling us that shit was going to happen. So, you know, and soon after that, oh, a few hours you know, after Savannah's mother got, uh, was diagnosed uh, with cancer. And many uh, uh, yeah, I got a phone call about my um, mother being terminally uh, diagnosed with cancer. But that's just one. I had the same thing Another happening time, with my dad when he was yeah. here. And with Mona one time when she was in danger, that bird yeah. came to our window. And so there's a lot of birds, like uh, a lot of animals. That's the interesting thing about Australia is, and in the Dreamtime stories, though, for example, all along the east coast of Australia, uh, there are stories of how the rivers and streams were created. And in many of the stories, the, the giant serpent, plays a role in this. Now, there actually were giant snakes. They found a, a snake uh, fossil up in Lightning Ridge or somewhere uh, up there. I'm not sure exactly where, but they said it was a metre in diameter, the, the, uh -huh. the body of the snake, and about 30 metres long. Now, you imagine animals this size moving in, in low areas, same as crocodiles do. They make rivers and lakes and streams. Yeah. So for, the, for us in the Dreamtime Lord to be told that this, this occurred, modern science can't really find the connection, but the truth is things were much bigger then. You know, animals were much bigger, the, the forces of nature were bigger then. And a lot of those uh, stories are metaphoric as well, that maybe the dolphin brother fighting the, the Goanna brother, so it might be the land spirit fighting the earth spirit. It, mm. it may be a, an ancient story of, of the vo a volcano taking over part of the ocean. Mm. Or, um, so what's amazing here is you have a lineage from then till now unbroken. Yeah. So even the Aboriginal people who have evolved on the land, as animals have, yeah. are connected to the animals and connected to the stories and connected to the land. And so that comes through as a very strong picture, monoframe, you know, I can't explain it in, in a different way. It's like a, a perfect example of something mm. left alone to evolve and that there is a memory of that story. Mm. In Europe, because of the Ice Age, because of volcanoes, there was a lot of shift and movement of tribes and one took over the other. And For example, we went to Italy a couple of years ago and I was just driving, we were driving or something, I said to Savant, I don't know, what, but I get a feeling that, uh, who was the guy? Hannibal came in. Now how could, you know, we're in like mid-Europe and ah, that can't be right, but Yes, that was Lugano, which was where he watered his elephants. Yeah. So in Europe, we get a much stronger impression of the people who have come and the conquests and yeah. the changes and the architecture and the philosophy and the edu and the you know intellectualization. And it's a bigger. It, I think Europe also is is more land than water. I mean, you know, the northern hemisphere. In the south, we have more water than land. So there's a different thing going on here. It's an intuitive, dreamy, mm -hmm. uh, it's a little, it's more dreamy and it's more circular. And you'll see that in the Aboriginal designs and the circular 
So it's kind of like something that Europe might have been a long, 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 long time ago. You find it a little bit in Greece, that dreamy, mm. uh, mythological, mm -hmm. uh, dreamy thing. I found it very much in Greece. I found a connection to our kind of thing over here because of water, mm. you know, because of the water. And they've even got echidnas. They've even got hedgehogs there and, and gum trees. Mm. So it's almost a mini... Mini Australia. Mini uh, southern, you know, kind of thing there. That's maybe why the Greeks all emigrated here. Oh. So you're talking about dream, dream time and uh, these um, indigenous uh, cosmologies and stories and so on. Um, so I have two, two questions. I know you've got a very deep connection to those people. And I'm, I'm very curious to, to, to know how that started and how that, how that began. But before you answer that, I'm also curious. You're saying about seeing warning birds and the signs of the land speaking to you. Is that because you're able to tune in and see those things? Is it because you're special in, some, in that way or you know how to look? Or is it, or would anyone um, Okay, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an analogy, a metaphor. Yeah. What's, wh which way is it? You're out in a boat on the ocean. The novice will probably get washed up on the rocks. Huh. If you're a sailor, you read the signs of the water. You see the seagulls. You know maybe right. there's, because the seagulls are close, there's land close. Uh, you know the currents. You know what you're working with. So... It's really purely that everybody can do it. Everybody can be aware of, you know, if I went to the football, I probably wouldn't be aware of, right. of who the latest player is. So I'd appear, you know, it might even lose me my position in the, in the box stand. You know? Yeah, so maybe those things are related then, how you uh, become a reader of these signs and how you become tuning, tuning into the land and so on and, and how your connection with the indigenous people of Australia began. I mean, can you talk yeah. a bit about that connection? Because it's been, you, you spent an awful well, lot of time. Well, it? my first uh, friend at school was an Aboriginal girl, for, oh, sorry, from a remote community. So, uh, you know, that was the age of four or five. Uh, uh, I, when I was 17, I, was a, I went out west and became a, a horseman, a stockman. And, my, and I worked exclusively pretty well with an Aboriginal stockman for two years every day on horseback. And we would discuss anything from, you know, spirits we'd seen or you know even at that place I one night woke up in this old uh, bluestone mansion 20 with 20 acres of English gardens I was the only one there you know 17 year old kid uh, and I woke up in the middle of the night and saw a shape drifting across the lawn you know I mean there wasn't anyone I could go ah <laughs> you know, there wasn't any I just it was an experience you know and and those things can invoke a certain amount of fear, but for me, they always hold a more fascination than fear. So, well, uh, it's not normal, is it, to be going out in the middle of there, seventeen, working as you know with the horses? And no, so it's on. not. That's not a, a common part. No, so it's maybe not. we should go even one step before. Oh, well, one step back from that. I was an A grade student. I would I would be top of my class every year and blah blah blah. And I was very artistic and always doing my work so that I could go to down to the art centre and paint or. Mm. And, but when I got to a point in school where, you know, especially when you get to things like trigonometry and I just thought, this is useless shit. You know, I don't want to hit, fill my head with numbers. So I um, left school and went and got, I thought, well, what's an exotic thing? that? What's one of the things I want to get off my bucket list, you know, I guess? Or something that I could, would find truly exciting. I said, well, I love horses, I love the bush. I'll become a stockman. So, right. so I became a stockman, and that was a hard life. I have to get up at four in the morning and 
milk it, catch the my horse before to go and catch the cows to milk it just to give everyone milk for breakfast. That's by six or seven o'clock, and then go out stock work all day. So, um, so yeah, that's sort of it was a, a radical thing. But I loved also writing poetry, and it was an experience, and I just wanted to absorb it. So I was quite I learned how to be on my own mm-hmm. and really enjoy my own company and write. But, you know, I wrote poetry and learned to use a stock whip really well. So I was a very good horseman. Mm. And, um, yeah. So, but then I got drawn back to the city by a, a Rudolf Steiner school, mm. a job that I went for. Um, I, I got the cook, sack, uh, got me the sack because her daughter liked me. Uh, so that's how I had to leave there. wasn't my fault. What were you doing in the Rudolf Steiner school? Um, I was a house parent. I was only 18, 19 by this stage, and they wanted someone about over 21 for the job. I, I didn't even know I was going for the job as a house parent. I thought I was going for a job as a gardener. Right. And uh, they rang me up and said, oh, you've got the job. Came down there and they said, oh, this is, your, this is one of your kids. This guy was 15. And this is another one. He was 26. He was older than me. So these were my two charges. And I just found... I, I, Anyway, so I, taught, so I went, went with it, mm. lived there and lived in that Rudolf Stein School as a house parent for two, uh, two years until I had a hang gliding accident. But I learned a lot in that time as well, uh, you know, living with intellectually handicapped, whatever we want to call it. These people are amazing no, people. Mentally ch- uh, challenged. Well, they've changed the title all yeah. the time. But they, they are amazing people. That what, I, what it taught me is what people lack in one direction, they will gain in another. Mm. So... We can never underestimate anyone's consciousness. If mm. somebody looks like a fool, it's probably because he isn't, you know. Mm. So that, that really taught me that. And that they move in different... The power of their communication skills to and working in an astral way is quite phenomenal. Uh, you know, I saw things there and experienced spirit, invocations of spirits through, through them, which uh, was fascinating. What but, do you mean by that? Invocations. Uh, well, I think if you're not Earth, if you're not, if you as a as a being, as a human being, spirit in a body, if you're not Earth, you have the ability, capacity, or vulnerability to be usurped or by other forces. You know what I mean? Because we don't know a lot in the physical realm about the spiritual realm. We can guess and we can say it, but I've seen, the, for example, possessions and things like this, okay. some, where people have not a strong earthly will, but they have a floating spirit, and where something that can manifest as them being channeled or, uh, or as them channeling something else. So I've seen, I saw quite a few interesting experiences there that really challenged me. Mm. Um, yeah, and in fact, the one experience I had there frightened the hell out of me. It was the most frightening experience I've ever had in my life, and uh, it was kind of like a darkness and, and a spirit approaching me and making a sound at me from that darkness. And I actually physically died in that moment. I was so scared. My spirit, you know, when they say you're frightened to death, mm. my spirit left my body. I went out the top of my head, and and in a literally like a spirit guide, my heart stopped and a spirit guide did, or somebody my conscience said to me, get a hundred miles away from here now and I ran I ran on the spot and I got out of there 
and I had to live around that place for a while with other people. Um, but I actually, after I'd had my death experience, which I'll tell you about in a minute, I went back to that place to challenge myself about fear. And yeah, so I, you know, darkness is only darkness and light always overcomes darkness. So that's, that's what I had to show myself uh, mm. from, from that. I actually went back to the same place and tried to break into that room and go and face that fear. I didn't, I couldn't break into the house because it was too well boarded up. It was a huge old 40 room mansion. And I was the only one there under a full moon with pine trees blowing and I thought, you've come far enough. You don't need to break, you don't need to break the law and smash the window to get in there, and, mm. you know. But, um... So you left the Steiner School and went hand gliding? Yeah. I did. Well, hang gliding was one of the things I loved doing. I loved surfing. Mm. I liked those kind of things, like surfing and mm. hang gliding. I, I had, had, before I went out to the bush, mm. I had actually played quite a part in designing and, and building hang gliders. Mm. Not so much the designs were someone else's that I was working on, but I, I love birds and, and kites and eagles, and I'd always studied this in my mind of how to fly, how could I fly. Mm. And then, of course, hang gliders came about, so, of course, I was in there. And I used to fly around a lot. So even when I was working at the Steiner School, I mm. go, would go maybe hang gliding on the weekends. Or... Yeah, and that's, that's where you had this accident. That, uh, uh... I came up north here, up, actually, yeah. to Byron Bay. Mm. And I jumped off a place no one's ever jumped off before, up in St Helena. Well, they, they do now. They fly up there sometimes, but no one. And uh, I was flying. I was up quite high, and I thought I'll fly, over to Bi I'll fly towards Byron. It was a big forest. And over forest, you get a lot of downdraft. So I was coming down very quickly. I decided to come back. And there's a small paddock that uh, I, I had to do a really tight manoeuvre from very high to sort of come down because there was a barbed wire fence halfway along it. So I had a very small place to land. Got caught, to cut a long story short, got caught in a downdraft. Went head first in from about 150 metres really fast. I just went like that straight down. Mm. And... Um, Crashed and first sound I heard was, have you ever stood on a potato chip? Mm. Yeah, that's the sound I heard. Uh, that was my whole body just crushing up like this wham. And uh, then, um, but I had a really amazing spiritual experience in that thing. I, I, because I've been flying around for about two or three hours, I, I wasn't attached to the earth and... I was a single guy and no responsibilities and and I guess at the, the stage where most people die they look back you know what am I going to miss who am I leaving behind should I really go and I just went with it it was like a and uh, so I moved I moved very up fast in myself and out through the top of my head like lightning and, and a lot of strange experiences like uh Smoke, like my spirit turned inside out, and I could that thing of being able to see your whole life in front of you was like a the way I could describe it would be like I was in the middle of a ten thousand faceted jewel, you know, and and every facade, every face of that jewel was another experience of my life. So there was everything. There was Mickey Mouse. There was the alphabet. There was everybody I'd ever known. There was every story that had ever been told. That you know, it's like. It's like, and it all goes very fast. You look at it and you see all these things that you've gone through. And then, um, and then 
then there was that kind of feeling like turning inside out. And uh, then I was in a real, then I went to this violet void. I was just in this huge violet void. And I remember saying to myself, holy crap, this is what it's like to be dead. It's beautiful. It's so peaceful. And, but then, and then I thought, but I'm still here. So I, I reached, you know, I, there was a couple of things I, re I learned in this. One was when I projected, I projected into the horizon. As we have eyes and we project, I learned a lot about how our spirits work in this moment because I projected into the horizon and suddenly I was moving at the speed of light. I was moving so fast, so fast, but there's nothing I'm going to or from. Mm. So suddenly I'm staying still. So it made me realize that when we're even in our human body, we look at the moon, we go to the moon and back. Maybe we didn't used to, and maybe that's why we didn't know it was round, but we're getting this courage to stretch our spirits. We go to the moon and back, and like a rubber band, we snap back and we go, moon, round, long way away. But I can, I can sense it, you know. And, but the funny thing about being in a space that has no form Speed is only relative to an object, so there's no point trying to go, go anywhere or go fast. It's like, so anyway. So then I thought, well, I wonder if I have a body. So I went to feel my leg with my arm, but I didn't have an arm to feel my leg with. So I imagined an arm and I went to feel my leg. And I made the motion with a, like this and I could feel that motion down to my leg, but then there was no leg, so the motion kept on going. So I just went with it. I thought, oh, fuck this, this is, you know, go with it. So I just left, and I just unwound, and I just became the whole universe. Total peace, total amazing. Like, like life on Earth doesn't even, doesn't even, life on Earth pales in comparison to the wonderfulness of that experience, yeah. So there's me there for a thousand years, and then bang. I come, I feel my, first thing I feel is my hands, the tips of my fingers. And then, uh, slowly it was like being in honey. And I came back, and then I opened my eyes, some point, I don't even remember when I opened my eyes, and I got up and there was people there and I had to have been there for about six or eight minutes and I had, you know, had a clinical death. They'd, there was no sign of life in me and I just spontaneously come back. Mm. And when I, and I got up and there was nothing wrong with me, this is what I couldn't work out. I got up and there was absolutely nothing wrong with me and I walked around, this kite was all like really crumpled and no bruises or broken bones, nothing. My wrists were a little bit... You know, I was in a state of something else. I can't... I wasn't even really thinking. But I, I got up and I walked around and I said, this is really weird. I walked around that thing and I, was, and I said, why am I back? Why am I back? Why am I back? And I said it three times. And then I've never, ever really asked that question about anything ever again. I, I don't ask the question why. It's because. You know what I mean? 
So it, it was something really profound that there was no conscious reason, there was no logical reason why it should happen and I was so baffled by that that it blew my mind the question why. It totally blew why out of the mm. out of the equation. And then if I even think about why it's a bullshit question. Because you know, why is the grass green? Oh, because of chlorophyll. Uh, why is chlorophyll green? Oh, because of elimination of the all rays except the green. But why does that happen? <laughs> It'll go on forever. There's no why is an in, is a infantile question in a way, you know what I mean? You, you, how is a different story. Mm. So I became more interested in how. Mm. And in fact that's what started me on my journey. I'd done meditation when I was young. I'd, when I was a teenager I'd done uh, transcendental meditation. A lot. And uh, But that brought me back to meditation, that I have to go back to this place, mm. that I, where I went. And that became an obsession for me. My life changed. I, a lot of very strange... I, I, after that had happened, I'd find myself driving along in a, in a motor vehicle and not being able to drive more than five miles an hour because it was like driving through honey. I'd be going like, whoa, I, can feel, I could feel everything so strongly it was quite uh, overwhelming for me. I would find myself talking poetry to the stars, beautiful poetry to the stars or uh, knowing everything that was going to happen weather-wise. I still have that to some degree. Well, I still have that, but it, it was things were really extreme, you know, for a, a long. So I had, I went back to the place where I was born, which was where Melbourne, mm -hmm. and I took a, a little country house just outside of Melbourne. I thought if I can't do it where I'm born, I can't do it where, anywhere, because you know you can be free somewhere not at home, mm. but if you can't find freedom at home, you don't have freedom. That was my sort of philosophy at the time. So I went back to where I was born purposely though, I thought, well, if I lose, just got to find this. And uh, I lost a lot of my friends, they thought I was maybe wacky. Or I'd fast for 12 days at a time and I ran an organic fruit and veggie co-op and meditated a day, every day, every day. I'd just wake up and I had a piano, I'd do a little bit of music and I'd do a bit of gardening or the work with a co-op, but my task was to find, get back to where I'd come from. So uh, this went on for two, two years, brought me to a point of crisis. Was I given up all my friends? Didn't go out with girls anymore. I'd had a few girls and I, it just didn't, there wasn't enough interesting there. So I was just, I wanted to find this. Uh, uh, and um, what was I saying about the, um, yeah, the crisis point was to, to inspire me with this journey, I would read a, a a bit, you know, people like Autobiography of a Yogi. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I was reading that, that book. And I'd been using a technique for a few months that I'd read about somewhere. It was a breath kind of retention technique or something that was... And I've been fasting and I'm eating sprouts and I'm doing... I'm being good at Mr. Goody Two-Shoes here, you know. And then he warns in this book of the danger of this kind of technique, that it's maybe not so kosher. So here's me, giving up everything, eating a pittance a day, so 100% dead sure that I need to find this, and I'm so confused. I don't know how to do it. Mm. I'm a, in fact, the things, the energy I put in, I'm now told that this is the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. So this, I would literally was in desperation in this moment and, and cried, and, and I remember, I just, I remember, my, because I'm not religious, but I just looked up to the sky and I said, I said, for fuck's sake, 
Send me someone who knows. So that was my prayer, you know. My prayer was like, I got angry with mm. the spirit, the great spirit. And I said, for fuck's sake, you know I'm 100% dead set about this finding, you know, like break, breaking, opening this in myself and for whatever reason. If this is what I'm meant to do, you better bloody well send me someone because I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So three days later or a week later or something, it was a very short time later, I, woke, I had a dream of, no, I woke my friend, my, I, uh, I remember the sequence because I'd had the dream, but I didn't know, I didn't place it with, with this experience. A friend came round, I had one friend left, American fellow, and he wanted to take me out, and he dropped off a paper at my doorstep, and I opened the paper, and there was a picture of an Indian guy there, uh, and I looked at this picture, and as soon as I looked at the picture, I thought, yeah, I know him. I know this guy. And I'd, you, can't, you know, when, you know, when you've seen someone before, you don't know where you've seen them. So that's the experience I had. And that was kind of... And it said, guru of love, yogi. And, you know, I'm a bit, a bit sceptical about those things, having done a lot of what I considered at the age of, ripe age of 19, a lot of, or whatever it was, a lot of work on myself. So, you know, it was, it was, anyway, so I was a bit sceptical anyway. I looked at that and I thought, yeah, 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 we'll see, you know. I didn't, I put the paper away. And about, uh, I don't know, sometimes suddenly it hit me that I had seen his face in, in a dream about two or three days before. And I remembered his face from that. Dream. And I was so, like, I thought, well, there's some connection here. I have to call this guy. So I picked up the phone, rang him, and he, 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 answers, he answers the phone. He goes, so, what do you want? I said, I said something I, like, I said, oh, I want to come see you. So, we have been together before. Slowly, slowly, you will understand. That was the first words he said to me. Anyway, I went and met him. Uh, I didn't have a lot of money to pay him. Or he was charging people for sessions and things like that. And he said to me, well, if you teach the yoga, the physical yoga, I'll teach you the, spirit, the meditational stuff. So he instructed me what to, you know, teach. And I'd done some a bit of that, you know, yoga and stuff and all that, uh, Tai Chi and all those sorts of things. But he instructed me in his methods of... So then I became the physical yoga teacher there, the Hatha yoga teacher. And then he just initiated me for free in, 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 in all those other things. And that was fascinating because that's where the, re the journey really started for me there. Uh, I had some very, very potent, powerful, powerful, powerful experiences living with him. And they were going through my deepest fears. They were uh, being able to let, completely let go, have no concept of who I am, and go into completely the causal state, like, which is like, it's electric and, and beautiful and timeless and, and what's the word, uh, unboundless. And this is, you know, the state that I experienced when I was dead. Mm. So um, 
but it became like a drug for me, you know. I would be sitting you know, every day awake, I went, oh, got to get there again, you know, I'm going to have me some Using of that. Using these techniques, these meditative yeah, techniques. Yeah, yeah, and I've got to have me some of that again, you know, so, but then... What was, if I may ask, um, where, where did he come from? What, he was what, from what India. Was he he, he travelled uh, with Bhagwan, he, he travelled with Rajneesh, you remember Rajneesh? Yeah. They were travelling buddies for a while and they both, they split uh, in, in schools of thought only slightly, they're only, it's from, the, from a Tibetan tradition, tantric uh, tradition, and they both had similar teachers and other teachers, but they had travelled together for a while and what the two, there's only was a couple a of things. Was he a colleague or a student of, of Colleague. They were colleagues. And, um, but the two schools of thought only differed in a tiny way. And one was that Rajneesh believed he could mass enlighten the world. And, and this felt the guy, uh, Swami Krishna, who I, um, Gautam, who I live with, he didn't believe that was possible. And in fact, that big collapse happened not too, too late after that, where because you can't empower a whole lot of people with goodwill who don't have goodwill. So, you know, it became about guns and drugs and possession of, uh, you know. It was Rajneesh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and a lot of other things, and a lot of uh, sexual abuse. and Well publicised yeah. um, there with Rajneesh, his yeah. organisation. I love him. He, he, what a great orator he is. I mean, if you read anything of what he said, it's unbelievable. It's He's one of the world's greatest orators. I'm no joke. Mm. But to put, you can't, just because you can talk it, and, and, and he, know, he knew it, doesn't mean you can sway everybody to do the same thing at the same time. I, like, I have give him credit for his ability to try. If he, maybe if you could persuade enough people to really embrace it, like the hundreds monkey thing and everybody, and maybe that's the whole point. We're all trying to get to, that we get enough communicators and, and uh, educators and liberators going in, that we stop buying into the old paradigm that Donald Trump's leading and buy into a new paradigm where, hey, it's all about abundance and you can have anything you want mm. as long as you're willing to share it, you know. Do you know anything about the specifics of the Tibetan um, lineages that he was... Uh, yes, his, he to? had a master, Takua was, here, was his uh, master there and, his, and he had a, there was a lineage there, yes, and... But what was far more interesting to me, I'm, because I'm not a traditionalist, mm -hmm. uh, and that's why I would never be a guru. Right. Um, uh, you know, I've got to do something different than the guy before me, you know what I mean? Um, I couldn't see myself sitting on a cushion or, you know, giving darshan regularly. I mean, it's like nine to five, no good, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm, just, I'm, not having fun. <laughs> I'm just having fun. But um, the thing that was far more interesting to me was what he possessed in terms of insight and knowledge. He would know what I was doing at the other end of the house. You know, I had weird experiences with him. Uh, one day when I left, I had given up everything. I didn't know who I was. I'd given up everything in my life and he'd kicked me out as well. He kicked me out and he said, go. And you know, I thought it was maybe because all the girls liked me, you know. So and not him. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought, that's fair enough, you know. So anyway, I went and lived on the other side of, uh, it was Melbourne at the time, because he was in Elwood. And I remember thinking, well, there's no reason for me to be in the city if I'm not studying with him or learning from him. So I, I said, well, I'm going to go. And I met a girl, nice girl. So let's leave. 
I said, before I leave, I want you to introduce you to this guy so you have some idea of knowing what I'm about. You yeah. know what I mean? It was like, you might, and maybe he can, uh, you know, initiate you into, into his field of mm. understanding and things like that, and that will help you understand me. So I rang, he, he hadn't let me, not that I'd tried to go there, but I hadn't seen him for months and months and months, and he'd kicked me out. So I just rang this day, just, I said, look, and he answered the phone, he said, so what do you want? I said, oh, look, I just want, I've met a girl, she's going to travel with me, I wanted to meet you. Okay. I said, uh, but I'm going to drop her off. Shall I come or, or just leave her there? Okay. So I come. So I go in and there's maybe a hundred people in there. A big old, big house and they had a foundation. So I thought, well, I'm not going to, you know. I used to be his personal secretary, so I was like the closest person to him. But so it was this sort of, so I thought, I'll just go right down the back in the corner. Sent her up the front. Well, she went up the front and met him. And then, so I'm sitting there, and then I meditated. I had a quite a, you know, just really nice to be there, and I just had a really deep meditation. And then everybody had gone, and I'm still sitting there. And, and he, he came... It was like a meditation, and every you know people had left, and then the music was going, and I was just sitting there, and he walked. No, I remember how I felt at first. I was just sitting there, and this fire went through me like fucking fire, man, like electric fire, like this, like that, and then it was like I'd been filled up to here, and then it went again, whoa, through me, and then it was like I was filled up to here. And then again, it was like it's filled up to here. And then again, it was like it's filled up to here. It went to my throat area, my throat chakra. Went to my throat, that's right, and this time it was like a, it just swelled like a, like a balloon from here. And swelled like a balloon and like a balloon. And then I went out. So it was in my throat. And went into this a really amazing samadhi experience. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And I don't know how long it was, a day or whatever, before I came out of that. It was probably two or three hours, I don't know. But anyway, as I came out of that, I opened my eyes and he's sitting right in front of me. And he says, so, it was good? And I said, yeah. And I crawl I didn't say anything. I just crawled to him like a baby and, and just lay in his arms and he, he was cuddling me like a like a child and I'm looking up at him and because I, I was just so so fucking whacked man I was so blissed out I looked up at him and I said he said I said that I looked at him I said that was my that was my throat chakra I mean or some you know we talked about it I remember I don't remember how we talked about it. he said so you have understood and he said uh, what was amazing to me was that I'd been out on the road hitchhiking, trying to get a, a lift to nowhere only 12 hours before I had nothing I owned nothing I literally didn't know who I was or, or what you know, I had no concept of myself that, should, that was a paradigm So, and this is what the throat chakra is all about is the throat chakra is about attachment you know what I mean 
So the placement of you in your world, and anyone who's highly religious, well, they generally have a quite a closed throat chakra. You know, it's like the you get to the blue, but you'll never get to the indigo. You get to the sky, but you'll never get to outer space because you've got a concept of where you are. You think you're already in space. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But you really, you've just attached, attached to a concept or a paradigm. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, my concept and paradigm had been even at that point, I guess, even spirituality. Mm -hmm. So that's a concept too. So anyway, what was amazing was I had these kind of really deep, powerful, energetic experiences that, that took me back to this, this samadhi, this death space, this, this oneness of everything. So then I left. I haven't seen him since. Um, that was, you know, 30, year, 30 years ago, maybe. I don't know. When, how old was I then? 21? 40 years ago. 20, no, 21. It was almost... Not quite 40, but 35 years ago. And I've been traveling ever since, practicing those. But I even gave up meditation. Not gave it up, but uh, if you're sweet enough, you don't need sugar. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that I like to apply that in my work, apply that in my, in my music. My music's a meditation. If I can become spirit, you know, spiritually aware through that process and use my body. In fact, that was what I was leading to. The thing that I got annoyed about myself was this became like a drug to me. And I was living, wherever I'd live, in the afternoon I'd lie down and have a nap and have this electric experience. And I thought, this is, I started getting a bit annoyed with myself. You know, what are you doing? You've got hands, you've got a body, you've got energy, you've got spirit, you've got youth. Get out there and do something with your life. You have plenty of time for lying down later, you know. So I kind of got, you know, and so I've had that kind of attitude ever since, that I want to be highly active while I'm in the, my body. And, and what I've learned through that is that actually that's where the greatest spiritual growth is, because it's through our body and through, in, through, through knowing how to overcome adversity and through how knowing to overcome fear and through knowing to, how to overcome tiredness and how to regenerate and, and be dynamic. This is the greatest spiritual experience we have on earth. So meditation is the easy part, you know. Go and learn to be with yourself, yeah, that's fine. But after you've learned to be with yourself, then you have to learn to overcome fear, anxiety, pain, stress, all those things that, that mean that you, because you'll take that, it's not about what you do here on earth, it's about taking that with you further on. Because when you're in empty space with nothing and you start getting fearful, that's the time you need the light to, to, to banish the darkness, not you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not, it's and a, you learn to work with these energies through life. Exactly. We, we were given the body as a tool to learn to work with these energies directly oh. and have a real sensibility and, and, and a palette for how we can utilize those things in a spiritual way mm. beyond death. That's, that's what I truly believe. And that's yeah. why I'm prepared to give everything I have in this life to please myself, truly please myself, not some shadow of, oh, you know, that's good enough or that's good. No, I want to fucking make sure I've done everything that I've wanted to achieve for myself, that I have the tools to. So what was this, your, your guru's uh, principal means of working? Was it mainly through darshan? Um, no, I You were no. teaching Hatha Yoga there. What, what, actually, uh, in, the uh, actually I, want, one, I love one of the things he said to me once when I was trying to make a point to someone who was in the ashram. Was, and I was right. But he said, never tell. Uh -huh. <laughs> that you know he was like, like that it's like look 
you can tell people, but people have to realise themselves. And realisation is worth so much more than someone telling you. Yeah. If you want to move at speed and you're in a group, yes, you need to communicate. You need, sometimes need to tell. But in terms teachings of, and so on. Uh, maybe in terms of your own working circle, uh, because, you know, you... I don't know, you know, if you want to achieve something, maybe you have a deadline and you, mm. you need to communicate. But I think with something like personal realisation, everybody has their own time and way. You can push something, you can lead a horse to water, and, but you won't make a drink. Mm. And the more you try and make a drink, maybe the more it's going to walk away from the water hole. So, mm. um, yeah, because other things are involved, like pride and ego, you know. So, uh, he wasn't, he, of course he was an orator, and he would have darshan, uh, uh, but for his inner circle and the people who are living there and working with him, no, everything was off the table. You know, it was... Um, I think if you're a spirit... It's like being a spiritual seeker at a higher level is like being a commando, you know what I mean? You've got to be willing to... Lay down your life. You really do. You've got to be willing to, to, uh, to kill the ego constantly. You know, not in a way that, um, not no, in fact. That's um, scrub that, scrub that. No, because I believe totally the ego is wonderful, and if you can make it big enough, it encompasses everybody. There's no problem with that. So it's not about killing the ego, but perhaps destroying. Not destroying, that's not the word. Uh, uh, allowing to dissolve a concept of you have of yourself. That, that's a really prime thing for that. The moment you think you know it all, you know nothing. You know. So you're constantly faced with this in the spiritual understanding that nothing is forever and everything's forever. So there's nothing to grab onto. There's nothing to, to say you are or there's no crown of what you've done. There's no glory of the future except to fully appreciate every moment. So you're sandwiched between a magnanimous past or a terrible past. You're sandwiched between a fearful future or a wonderful, you know... Hopeful. Hope, not hopeful, a bright shining star of a future. So here you exist, paper thin moving along with the tide of that thing that will play itself out if you let it, you know. So, I mean, I find it so difficult when it comes to spiritual things. I don't know if I could be a spiritual teacher because I, what is the definition of floating along with the tide? Just that. So, however you can free yourself from stress, but at the same time achieve that which you want, this is, the li this is the challenge to every human being, spiritual or not. Uh, good luck to, all, to everybody, you know, it's like... And, and, you know, even things we're saying about, like, what are the signs for you? Or Yes, there are archetypal signs, and I, I'm not saying even with the, you know, psychology and those things, there's a lot of incredible truth in all that. But if you come from the other side of the world and you live on a boat, and you know, it's like I'm saying, your boat is a home to you. Maybe a, bo a boat represents crossing Bass Strait here and losing your life. Yeah. So whether it's a positive affirmation or a, a, a negative war you know, warning, 
will depend on, on that person's actual experience with those archetypes. So mm -hmm. um, I can't ever find that I can join a school of thought that says this is correct about those things. For me, all I can do is go, if I dream something and it's strong, I have to pay attention to it. Mm. But then I wait for, this, I wait for, the, for more signs. Mm. I wait, okay, well, that's, you know, I've got something there and what, if I'm open to it, it'll open up and reveal more and that works for me. Mm. So how do you go from there then, or how did you go from there to uh, spending so much time with the Aboriginal people? Well, there, as I said, when, because I, that had been a part of my life before that. Right, as a Anyway, story. so it, it was only, it became more of a, a part in the jigsaw puzzle because the, the Vedic thing is very close to the Aboriginal thing anyway mm. because they were the same people that migrated through. The Vedas stayed there. The Aboriginal people, you know, uh, well, wander, you know, came to... They're, they're brothers, they're really, they're brothers. And you find that link uh, in, the, in the Vedic tradition through down to, uh, you know, uh, the Vedas went all the way down to Sri Lanka and, mm. and through there too. So, I mean, the land link was there before the ocean rose. Mm. So they were the same people. So it's a very, there's a very common thread with the Aboriginal really? and, the, and the ancient Indian, yes. And in fact, even the body language, come here, mm. things like this. Uh, unbelievably so, uh, hey, even, you know, we noticed that uh, recently, we saw uh, those people, remember we were, the Tamil, mm -hmm. very sure. similar connection, you know, it's very ancient connection, so um, it's fascinating when you think uh, of a lot of the now parts of the jigsaw puzzle we have of history, the, you know, the real ones, not, the, not just the ones in old textbooks, but we're finding now that the oceans rose something like at least 30 to 100 metres in the last, since the Ice Age and have flooded civilizations well in excess of 12 and 15,000 years. And pyramids in Bosnia now uh, carbon dated to 25,000 years. Yeah. So, you know, we've got this, we've got, we've got such a rich history, rich cultural history in the world that we're only just starting to touch the tip of the iceberg and the Aboriginals represent something that's unbroken, unchanged. So this is where the power is, you know, time creates beautiful things and, and they, they, have, they have a beautiful spiritual uh, energy and, and understanding, I wouldn't even say belief, it's an understanding they're part of the nature, they talk to the animals, the animals talk to them and it's this Garden of Eden thing that, uh, that we lack so much in the West. Uh, not to say that the Garden of Eden can't have its rough days and, you know, have a drought, you know. Yeah. So, but, you know, that con that, that's the fascination, this, con this connection, connection to place, to beings, to, other, you know, to animals, to plants, to universe, to, you know, the, this, this is the thing all human beings are searching for. So whether you find it through the physical things of genealogy or uh, cultural or purely to spiritual. So that's hence why I'm so interested in everything from cultural information, music and dance, through to spiritual, because for me it's all part of the same jigsaw puzzle, that it just gives us this, you know, this magical, complete, whole understanding of, uh, of life and, and, and dynamics and mm. magic, 
it's the magic zone, you know, it's the, that's where I want to be. So you went there. Yeah. You spent a lot of time out, out in the bush. Yeah. The two of you by yourself and so on. Um, what, why did you do that? And uh, how did you learn to live out there? Well, we, not everyone can just walk into the bush for three months and uh, no. As a child, a of, as it. a child, we always went fishing and things. Even I you know, I've always when you grow up in this country, you grow up with nature. So I've always had that fascination. I always, you know, but um, you know, good question. I mean, I just have an instinct to survive, and if I have a spear, I can catch something. You know, and that's what I wanted to prove to myself. So you didn't really have any training or anything like that? You, you just went... Well, I've speared fishes as a kid, and I made my own spear, Hawaiian sling and, and, right, okay. and, and would catch my own fish. So being put out, and a little bit of local knowledge about what to eat. We'd spend some time in Arnhem Land. Uh, you know, you can eat these things, you can eat these ground nuts, or you can eat these fruits. And, and I mean, I'd always, always done a little bit of research mm -hmm. about that and knew... Uh, but every area is different. So here we were in a totally different area that was full of sharks and... Uh, crocodiles and um, you know mainly seafood so we were able to catch you know I'd catch at least one shark a day eh? one small shark a day and we'd we'd, eat, we'd live from that and mm. um, fresh water nearby and try try different things and sharpen your spear and interesting that's really fascinating. That's such a fascinating conversation. Oh, um, good. We're almost oh, out monologue. Of time. Sorry, you haven't said no, that. No, no. I'm asking you. It's um, we're almost out of time. But I would like to, for a few minutes, hear a bit about uh, in your you know your work musically. Um, uh, you've done an awful lot of uh, bridge building between the indigenous communities yep. in Australia and uh, I don't know what would you call them. Uh, Everyone else. Well. Indigenous, non-indigenous, I don't even like these terms to be honest because there's so many people in Australia that have, a lot of people have Aboriginal without even knowing it. Yeah. So, you know, if we're dividing the people and you have to take one side or the other, it's just, I don't even like to think of it in those terms. I mean, we use those terms for definition. Yeah. The people in this country and the, and the people that perhaps have the genetic disposition of the land, mm -hmm. yet if you're born in this land, even as a white person, and your parents made love on that soil and ate the food from this place, you're endemic, if not indigenous. Mm. So I find this a really big challenge. I don't like any of those titles. They're all divisive. They're, they're all divisive yeah. in some way. Whether you, so, you know, I kind of like, you know, you say Aboriginal. Aboriginal means person of that place. This is a respectful term. Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal. That's fine. You know, maybe that's better than indigenous and non-indigenous. You know, right. We're all indigenous to somewhere. Well, that's true. And so how can, you know, if it's almost disrespect if I say I'm indigenous and you're not. Mm -hmm. You're indigenous from the other side of the world yep. and have carried just as much respect as the indigenous person here. So I like to, you know, you, you understand where I'm coming I from. Do. I don't like to get... I don't go, like to go anywhere near that somehow. I work with those people. Mm. I work with them because I love them and I love what they do and what, what they believe. Mm. And um, some of the strongest cultural people are the widest ones within the communities as well mm. because they've... I don't know, you know, they might have been outcast from their 
from their tribe, but because of that, they've wanted to find their cultural and 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 spiritual mm. root even more. So things are often upside down in this country. Um, you show me lots, you know, it's quite some footage actually of um, very powerful uh, collaborations that, that uh, the two of you did with um, dancing uh, and uh, these sorts of. Uh, I, I can't really don't know how to describe it. Very primal kind of uh, ceremonies. Powerful stuff. We're ceremonies. doing ceremony. That's right. We're you doing do, modern doing, ceremony. That's right. That's amazing. I'll put. Um, I'll make sure to put links yeah, in okay, the nice. description under there to your music and, and to some of that footage because yeah. it's really powerful stuff. Yeah. yeah, and then people who are listening to this who are interested in checking it out, and I really do recommend anyone listening checks yeah. out this, the, the work that, you've, that you, you, you do. Yeah. It's really incredible stuff. Yeah. Well, for me, uh, art and music and, and, and philosophy, it's a job of these people to move, to steer the direction of mankind. And we've lost touch with we've, we've, corporates and governments have put musicians and artists over in the corner for a reason because they want to disempower them with their real job. And their real job is some, to be spiritual, uh, not, not leaders, spiritual guides in terms of, like John Lennon, a good example. I mean, uh, you know, he's somebody who, uh, you know, um, imagine, you know, mm. this is a way of communicating to people an idea that everybody's involved with and it's always been that way the, the shaman of the of their group or the tribe or uh, heals through music or, or through vibration and changes things through because vibration is the nature of the universe so what better way to kick it off in a new direction than have a jam yeah. <laughs> no, good no, gig no, have a gig <laughs> do a gig uh, yeah. no but you know what I mean but but to to motivate it with mm -hmm. uh, with hum, harmonic and have vibration you, have you uh, both been called shamans before has that been shaman sounds too old-fashioned to me. I, I would never be a shaman. Uh, you know, shaman is like something from a specific culture. Mm. So m me, I'm just... Uh, well, it's been quoted. I can't use that one. I'd like to say naughty boy. <laughs> naughty boy. <laughs> no, no, no. The naughty boy of the ditch. No, no uh, I'm a boundary breaker. Oh. I'm a... I'm a I'm a, a ba not breaker. I don't like the word boundary stretcher. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, what, I don't even, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, you've yeah. got it. But for my, we're all that for ourselves. You know, we're a, we, we have to, if it's not your bank account you're trying to increase, you're trying to increase your self-worth yeah. or you, you know, I'm an expander. That's mm -hmm. all, you know. And just, and that's, just trying to get as much out of life as yeah. possible, yeah, yeah. on all levels. Yeah, That's it's very not, clear. Yeah. My, and I don't even... Not, not to waste any time. And because I have an essential understanding that what I do affects other people and what other, do, other people affects me, mm. and we are essentially connected, I want to enjoy myself to the max, but I don't want to have, be a negative impact on other people. So it's a very, you know, the simple solution for me is do something that you love that's good for you that everybody else likes as well. Mm. So. You know, either either make lollies <laughs> and sell beer, or eh. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great, guys. Thanks so much. Is there anything uh, else you want to add to add to this conversation? Uh, we could go on for another few hours. I'm sure we could, no and problem. and you know we're back. Maybe uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Maybe there's. Uh, I, I do. Too. Yeah. No, I think so. and, but I would like to say because your last thing was about the work with the Aboriginal yeah. and music. 
And, and what I would like to say to that is I take it very serious that I can have an impact upon myself and others. And to, we, one of the things we've lost touch with as modern humans is, is the power to invo of invocation. That we, through our ceremonies, whatever, my ceremony in the morning is wake up, have a cup of coffee and a cigarette. That's my ceremony. That's my morning ceremony. Mm. That says I'm in control of my life, even to do something bad if I want. And to wake up and face the day in a way that says I'm able to do anything I want. So the, the reason for this and, and with the Aboriginal thing and all this is a demonstration of that, that through invocation we can totally change the energy of ourselves, our feeling towards each other and, and our will to drive humanity in a far more benevolent potential than it, it has realised. Mm. Yeah. And, and still keep, maintain a relationship with the animals and the earth. Because they're my best friends. The animals are my, my best friends. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, like, they're the ones who are straight out with me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, That's a beautiful way to end, I think. Where can people find out more about you? On, online, for instance? Oh, lots of places online. Uh, well, firstly, our website, which is uh, uh, www.visionsofenamet.com. Uh -huh. If they're interested in the uh, uh, work we do with uh, the indigenous people, uh, we, we co-produce a show called ARC Dreaming, A-R-C Dreaming, which stands for the Australian Recon Reconciliation Company. And they can find also our website online, uh, uh, which is called ARC Dreaming, Aboriginal Dance Theatre.com. Mm -hmm. I'll put all those links um, beneath the interview so people can click through. Yeah. Yeah, and then that's Bandcamp where they can discover us. And, and buy all your music. But you won't find that story anywhere. I d I've never no. written that, that story down. No, that's you. So, <laughs> Great. Like the story, this story we're talking about. No, yes. If you want, this, this is the story. There is no other story. Oh, it's fascinating. <laughs> this is fascinating. the story. Michael and Savannah, thank you very much. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for uh, taking the interest yeah. in our lives. That's, that's wonderful. It's very nice.